Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Depending on what time you are listening in <laughs> here at uh, Jubilee Fellowship Church, it is great to be with you. My name is DJ, and uh, along with my wife, Cami, we are the campus pastors down in Castle Rock, and it's a joy to be with you here today. We want to welcome uh, Highlands Ranch Campus. Uh, we love you. Uh, Castle Rock Campus, love you guys. Uh, Lakewood, all of those that are uh, in the planning and preparation stages to be a part of that launch later on this spring, uh, and everybody listening via live stream, those who will listen via podcast later. And last but not least, a very special shout out to our missionaries from all around the world that may be tuning in. Um, we truly love you and bless you in the Lord and uh, are glad that you're with us uh, here today. Uh, how many of you guys were here for last week for the kickoff of the Hero Series? Okay, uh, at Castle Rock Highlands Ranch. How many of you guys? All right, would you agree that uh, it's definitely worth listening to? If you didn't get in on that, go to jfc.org, download that. It is uh, Pastor John Leach opening that series up and challenging us uh, both to see the way God's favor just changed Joseph's life and how that is the single most important factor that can change our lives. Better is one day of God's favor than a lifetime worth of effort. We also uh, heard about how in Hebrews 11, uh, it tells us about that great cloud of witnesses that has gone before those men and women of God that have lived their lives in such a way that they are a beacon, they're a torch, they're an example and an inspiration for us, and that that is the reason that their stories are included in Scripture, and that is kind of the point of this hero series, that we can not only look at their lives and go, wow, uh, that's amazing, and look at how God used them, but to say, hey God, how can you use me in a great way to bring you glory. So that is what the Heroes series is about, and we are uh, going to get into a new character and a new hero today that I believe is going to be a blessing. Uh, I know it's blessing me already. I'm just studying it and, uh, and sharing it, but I believe you're going to be challenged and blessed. But before we get into that, I wanted to read a short story to you. And uh, it says this, a couple had two boys, ages 8 and 10, who were excessively mischievous. They were always getting into trouble, and their parents knew that if any mischief occurred in their town, their sons were probably involved. The boy's mother heard that a clergyman in town had been successful in disciplining children, and so she asked if he would be willing to speak with her boys. The clergyman agreed, but asked to see them individually. So the mother sent her eight-year-old first in the morning, with the older boy scheduled to see the clergyman in the afternoon. The clergyman, a huge man with a booming voice, sat the younger boy down and asked him sternly, Where is God? The boy's mouth dropped open, but he made no response, sitting there with his mouth hanging open, wide-eyed. So the clergyman repeated the question in an even sterner tone, Where is God? Again, the boy made no attempt to answer. So the clergyman raised his voice even more and shook his finger in the boy's face and bellowed, Where is God? The boy screamed and bolted from the room, ran directly home and dove into his closet, slamming the door behind him. When his older brother found him in the closet, he asked, what happened? The younger brother gasped for breath and replied, we are in big trouble this time, dude. God is missing and they think we did it. <laughs> Thank you for your courtesy laughter. That is part of the cross that you bear. 
to come to church and hear God's word is that yes, you have to sit through pastor humor occasionally. But we are actually talking about troublemaker, a troublemaker this weekend. Not in the way those two young men were, but a troublemaker for the kingdom of darkness and for the enemy. Someone who stirred up trouble because he knew who he was in God. He allowed God to show him the bigger picture of what his life was all about and he depended on God's power. And, uh, and so I believe, you know, as we talk about Daniel, I'm very excited to share it with you for a couple of reasons. One is I was named after Daniel. And uh, so growing up, I always kind of knew that, wow, this is somebody significant enough that my mom and dad wanted to name me after him and uh, that he could be someone I could use in my life as an example and sort of a guiding uh, uh, light in my life. But also, Daniel's mentioned a couple of other places in Scripture besides the book of Daniel. And it's significant. Uh, One is in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, where he is mentioned as one of three righteous guys Uh, I won't say righteous dudes, but, you know, three men of old that were considered righteous before God and that had the power to sway God through their prayer. So that's a pretty cool deal. Would you agree that when you hear something like that about someone, maybe worth taking a few minutes to find out how they live their life? Uh, The other one is actually found in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, uh, verse 19, where the angel Gabriel, this is the guy that stands in the presence of God Most High, The guy that 600 years later appeared to Mary and uh, told her that she was going to give birth to the Savior of the entire world. The same Gabriel appears to uh, Daniel in the latter part of this book and greets him this way. Greetings, you who are highly favored or highly esteemed. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to have Gabriel show up at my house some morning, you know, and I'm just like... You know, waking up, you know, making my coffee. The greetings, you who are highly esteemed by God. Or another translation says, you who are greatly loved. But we know that God loves and esteems Daniel and lifts him up as someone that uh, we can take a look at. We can see how he lived his life and hopefully learn some things from and live our lives in a way to fulfill God's purposes. Does that sound like a good plan? Yeah, All right. That sounds like a good plan. Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock. Awesome. Uh, We're going to jump into that. Now, the most familiar story that uh, probably all of us know about Daniel would be Daniel and the lion's den, okay? And that is a powerful story of how, uh, you know, God had promoted Daniel towards the uh, latter part of his life, and he certainly had distinguished himself, it tells us in chapter 6, by his excellent qualities. He had an excellent spirit. But there were these guys that were uh, jealous of him and knew that in order to become what they wanted to become, they had to get Daniel out of the way. So they go to King Darius. They tell him, hey, why not make an edict that nobody can pray to any other god except you, O king, for the next 30 days. So that's what the king does. You know, seems like a good idea, right? Have everybody pray uh, to him. And so he does that. Well, Daniel hears of it, but what does he do? He goes right up to his room, just like he always did. He opens the windows wide. He's not afraid of who sees him, and he cries out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No doubt he was facing east where the temple was in Jerusalem. And he goes back to the source of his strength, the source of his wisdom, and to the one he knew gave him power to glorify God, and he prayed, and sure enough, he got in trouble for it, and Darius has to, you know, he uh, has to throw Daniel in the lion's den, the laws of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed, and um, back when I was a kid, I had a record, remember records? 
Yes, 33 RPM, right? I think is what it was. Not RPG. I think that's a bomb that goes off. We don't want those. Uh, but we, 33 RPM, and, and my parents would play on the one side, it had the story of Daniel. On the other side, it had the story of the three Hebrew children. And But on the story of Daniel, when he was thrown into the lion's den, it says that all that night the king could not sleep. And then the next morning, the king ran and said, Daniel, Daniel, has the God you serve so faithfully been able to save you from the mouths of the lions? And then it's like, dun, 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 you know, the background music and everything. Ah, what's going to happen? And then enough, Daniel's like, yes, oh king, oh king, live forever. The God I serve has been faithful. He has sent his angel to clothe the mouth, clothe, clothe, not clothe, clothe the mouths of the lions. And he knew, oh king, that I had not sinned against him nor against you. And so there's a great deliverance. And we're like, yeah. God intervened and Daniel's victorious and that is an awesome story and uh, one that we should know about Daniel but today I want to jump in to uh, where Daniel's story really begins many many years before that story took place toward the end of his life and I think that in Daniel we see uh, three pillars that he established in his own heart three truths that he understood three secrets that he not only got here but really embraced in his heart that allowed him to be one of God's heroes that was used like few people have ever been throughout the course of history. And I think that if we can understand those same things, God can use us. Does that sound good? You want to jump in? Okay. So the first thing that Daniel understood, the first secret that he got and the first pillar that he built in his life was that he was not afraid to be different. Daniel was not afraid to be different. Now, I know nowadays we use the word different as probably something you don't want to be, right? Has anybody ever told you, you know, oh, you're really different? Or you've heard about something, oh, don't talk to her. She's really, you know, a little bit different. Uh, that's not typically a good thing. Now, maybe you're here and you didn't actually know that. Take notes. It's a good thing to write in your notes, okay? You're learning all kinds of things. Uh, but, but being different is something that we probably shy away from. We want to blend in. We want to just kind of keep a low profile. We don't want to rock the boat and all of that. And of course, there can be times to blend in. There can be times to fit in. Nothing wrong with that. But in Daniel's case, he realized there come times when we have to not be afraid to be different. We have to not be afraid to be different. He had been taken along with uh, the three Hebrew children who uh, were later given the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar back in about 606 B.C. I'm not going to get into all the history of it, but Nebuchadnezzar had gone down and defeated Pharaoh and kind of kicked his armies out of Asia. And then they're like, "Woohoo! we conquered that. What else can we conquer? And they're like, there's Jerusalem. Sounds like a plan. So they go up and they set a siege around Jerusalem. And sure enough, after just like three short months or so, it falls to them. And they decide to take some of the brightest and some of the smartest and the best looking young men and take them and take them back to Babylon where they came from so they could be in the employ and the service and in the royal court of King Nebuchadnezzar. So these guys, if you look at the, the, the scripture in the background, um, some sources say they could have been between 15 and 20 years old when they were taken. Which, you know, I moved uh, to a boarding school in Germany uh, when my parents were missionaries in Spain. When I was 14, I went in ninth grade. And so, you know, I kind of relate to, all right, I, I survived, okay? Uh, I'm not a mass murderer. I'm not, uh, you know, I may be a little weird here and there, but I survived and, uh, and made it. Uh, but some sources say that it was even as early as 12 or 13 years old when these guys were taken. So think about that for a second. These young men being taken from their families from their homes, 
from their kingdom, from everything that they understood, from their temple, from the place where their God was worshipped, from their language, from everything they had ever been familiar with, everything they'd ever been uh, able to know. And they were taken far away to a land where there was a different language, there were different gods, they worshipped the sun god, they worshipped Jupiter, they worshipped the god of fire, they worshipped all kinds of other gods in Babylon. They had all kinds of other traditions, all kinds of other values, and their god was not necessarily respected by the king or the people. Now think about that, you're 12, you're 13, you're 14 years old, and what do you do? You've got a choice, right? What do you do? You've been pulled out of everything, of your parents' faith, of where you've grown up. And in chapter 1, I want to read you a few verses from chapter 1 that picks it up right when King Nebuchadnezzar had laid siege to Jerusalem and it had fallen and he decided to take some of the gold of the temple and the utensils from the temple and all that stuff as kind of loot uh, back to uh, Jerusalem. But in verse 3 it says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. The rest of the story goes on to where they convinced the chief official to say, Hey, test us for 10 days and see how we look and see if truly we look okay then would you be willing to continue this? And so sure enough, that's what happens. He tests them for 10 days, and he finds them stronger and healthier looking than any of the rest of the young men. So he allows them to not have to partake of the wine or of the meat and bread, which no doubt had been sacrificed to foreign gods and foreign idols. And so they make a decision here that we see right at the very beginning. Now, think about this. Everybody who knows you, everybody who's kind of keeping an eye on you, everybody whom you've ever been accountable to, is far, far away. And all of a sudden, you are being told, man, you are the brightest and the best and the best looking and you are beautiful people and we're going to train you to actually be in the king's court. And man, we've got high ambitions for you. You know what? If you stick it out with this program, you are going to do well around here, Daniel. You know, I see you going places, kid, right? And so all of a sudden, what would have been the temptation? To give in and just go, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a plan, man. Whatever it takes, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's go, right? I want this future for my life. But that's not what Daniel did. Do you catch that in verse 8? It says, Daniel resolved or purposed in his heart not to contaminate himself with the king's wine and with the king's bread. He made a decision to be different. He made a decision to honor God. He made a decision to say, you know what? I may be a long way from home, but I am not forgetting who I am. I know who I am. And here's the deal. Uh, in, uh, if you go over to Israel nowadays, you'll see um, a, a custom, and not just in Israel, around here as well, anywhere where there are uh, communities of, of Jews living and, and practicing uh, that, where they have a celebration called a bar mitzvah. 
And that is uh, when a boy is 13 uh, years old and one day... He uh, is given, his dad puts on a very special celebration for him. The, uh, the main event is that that boy gets to read publicly from the scriptures to the other men in the synagogue or the temple. And so that's a big deal, and he's considered a man from that day forward. But also, the, uh, the boy is taken up on the dad's shoulders many times. And the dad will walk around or run around and say, This is my beloved son, in whom or with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And so, we don't know for sure, but it's very possible that those young men had experienced that type of upbringing, perhaps even that type of ceremony, where they were spoken into at a young age, saying, You are one of God's chosen. You are a son of God. You are part of God's people. You're different than the rest. There is a special calling and a special purpose and a special identity. You are a son of the covenant. In fact, that is what bar mitzvah means. Son of the law or son of the covenant. And so these young men who went to a land far from their own, I believe show us an example of not being afraid to be different. Why? Because they knew who they were. You see, it settles a lot of questions when we know who we are. It makes a lot of things that can be very difficult not so difficult. It makes a lot of decisions and choices that can be very tricky not so tricky because we know who we are and we're not afraid to be different. That was the case with Daniel and with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 14 through 19, God is speaking to his people. And he says this, as obedient children, as what? As obedient children, sons and daughters of the covenant. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy. Because I am holy. Since you call on a father, who do you call on? Sons and daughters of a covenant. Since you call on a father who judges each man's person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. So you see, we too have been called to be holy. It says, be holy for I am holy. God has issued that same call to us. But here's the deal. How is it that it's so difficult sometimes to be different than the world around us? And yet we see Daniel completely walking in victory, being able to stand up to the temptation around him when everyone else was eating that food sacrificed to idols. And he's able to say, hey, not me. I don't want to do that. I'm different. I'm a son of the covenant. I want to honor my God. What is it that allowed Daniel and gave him the strength to stand up to that when we know in our lives it's tough to do, isn't it? I believe that the secret is found right there as we just read. He knew who he was. He knew he was a son of covenant. He knew who his father was. And when you know that, it allows you to be confident and to live from that place. A lot of times we focus, you know, you hear a lot of sermons on do this, don't do that, don't 
watch that kind of movie. Don't listen to that kind of music. Don't say those kind of words. Don't, you know, don't, 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 right? Uh, we don't drink, we don't chew, and we don't go with girls who do or whatever. You know, that's, that's a good guideline for some of you just as a place to get started. You know what I'm saying? If you're working at, I'm just kidding. That's not where you start with holiness. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of people think holiness begins. But the truth of it is that it doesn't begin with those outer expressions. Holiness begins by knowing who we are, by knowing that we're a son or daughter of the king, by knowing that we're a son or daughter of the covenant. You know what's interesting? In that passage in 1 Peter where it says, be holy for I am holy. Do you know what that word holy actually means? It's the word hagion in Greek. And it actually means the very first word to define holy is different. The very first word when it says be holy for I am holy, it's saying be different. You don't have to be the same as everyone around you because you're not the same. You're a son or daughter of the king. And you can start living like that. When we get the revelation of who we are, when we get the revelation of how the Father looks at us and how he sees us, what does it say? We haven't been purchased by the blood of goats or of bulls or of silver and gold, but the precious blood of Christ. When we begin to understand the price that was paid to bring us into the covenant, when we begin to understand that he spared no expense, but gave the darling of heaven the very best that he had so that we could be a son or daughter of the covenant, then we will truly begin to have the confidence to say, yeah, I am different. I am different. I don't have to do that thing. I don't have to walk like those around me because I'm a son or daughter of the king. Now, it's tough, isn't it? It's very hard. A few years ago, probably actually... 10 or 12 years ago, my wife and I uh, moved here, our kids, to start a uh, Spanish-speaking church. And at the time, I had to get a job uh, full-time while I was uh, doing the ministry work and whatnot uh, in Northeast Denver. And, uh, and part of that job, it was at Junior Achievement. And uh, Junior Achievement is an organization that helps uh, young kids, K through 12, uh, learn about free enterprise and about capitalism. And so my job as a program manager and later senior program manager, which, you know, that and a buck 59 can get you a cup of coffee. But anyway, uh, my job was to recruit teachers in public schools to want to have this program. And then I would turn around over here and go recruit business volunteers from any number of businesses to volunteer to go into the classrooms and present this five-week curriculum. One hour per week, five weeks, right? So, all was good and dandy, and I would, you know, recruit and sell teachers. Oh, man, business people are dying to come into your classroom. And then, of course, I'm telling the volunteers, oh, teachers are dying to have you come in, you know. You're just trying to, like, make this love connection uh, and all of that. And everything was great, and, and things went well most of the time. But towards the end of the semester of each year, it was time to do our reporting for all of the classes that had been completed, for how many students in each class. And here's the deal. Our president, our CEO, had made a commitment to the business community in Denver saying, we will reach 75,000 students this school year with capitalism education right here in the Rocky Mountain region. And so what happens is we put ourselves out there as an organization, certainly our CEO had, and all of us had to live with the reality of making that happen. And what happened was at different times, I would get word within the last two or three weeks of school, 
You know, when kids are just going crazy in the classroom and nobody wants to have a guest speaker come in. And I would get word that, oh, hey, you know what? That volunteer never was able to connect with their teacher. Or their teacher never called them back. Or, oh, they went in one time, but then, you know, they had to reschedule and they got sick. And, you know, it just didn't work out for them to go in the rest of the times. So all of a sudden, guess what I'm feeling? I am just get a sick feeling in my stomach. Like, oh, that one didn't really happen because that's part of the 75,000 kids. And that's part of my 300 teachers and my 300 volunteers. And that's 31 students that actually didn't really get it. And I'd love to stand here today and tell you that, oh, man, like Daniel, bless God. I walked into my CEO's office and I said, I am a son of the covenant. Woo! And I am not afraid of you. And I have several classes that didn't actually happen. And my numbers are lower than the quota. And, but bless God. God is my deliverer. God is the one who fights my battles for me. So, yeah, what do you have to say about all that? <laughs> I didn't do that. All right? I'm not, I'm not proud of it. And uh, it's not fun to talk about. But... In many cases, I succumbed to the pressure. I lived in fear. I didn't want to lose my job. I didn't want to be that guy that the last week of school, it turns out, oh, what, 300 students didn't get the program? Your numbers are lower than we had expected by 300 because 10 classes didn't happen? Well, what were you doing during that time? How come you didn't check in with these volunteers? How come you didn't check in with these teachers? You're responsible. That's your job. That's what we're paying you to do. And so you know what? I gave in to fear, and I allowed a lot of those numbers to go through. Oh, yeah, well, they were there once, you know, so kids learn something. It doesn't say how much they had to learn about capitalism. They gave the name tags out. They learned to spell capitalism. I succumbed. And perhaps in your life, you're going, wow, I can think of a time when I've felt that pressure, when I've felt that system kind of bearing down upon me and the weight of that responsibility and going, oh, God, I can't afford for this to get out. I, I just can't. I, I, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't know what I would do. I need this job. I need this situation. I, and in some way, we don't do what Daniel did. We don't know who we are. We don't remember who we are. We don't remember that we're children of a covenant with the Most High God and that He will fight our battles for us. So we compromise. We give in. We yield to the system of the world. Here's the deal. If you're in that place, maybe it was 10 years ago, maybe it was 50 years ago, maybe it was last week or earlier today. We beat ourselves up. We say, oh God, I have totally failed you. I have totally dragged your name through the mud. I haven't acted as your son or as your daughter. God, what do I do now? And the devil will come and beat us up with it, but I have good news for you today. You know what? There's mercy, there's forgiveness. God is saying, hey, I want to renew in your heart the understanding of who you are in me. I want you to know and hear again that I love you, that you are my son, that you are my daughter, that I will fight your battles for you, that you don't have to fear and wonder, is that covenant gonna hold strong when the storm comes? Because that covenant is forged in the blood of his own son, Jesus. And so God is saying, hey, know who you are in me. That is what gives you the ability to be different in the way we act. That's what gives us the confidence to know that we don't have to live as slaves. You see, the world system operates on, on, on fear and on a slave mentality that says, you know what, they'd just as soon get rid of me. 
as, as promote me. And I've felt that. Maybe you've felt that. Different jobs. Man, they just as soon fire me and get somebody else as they would. They don't really care that much about me. That may be true, but there is someone who cares. And what Daniel did is he learned to live as a son in a land of slaves. When everybody around him was afraid of what the king would say, afraid of what the king would do, not wanting to rock the boat, he was saying, I'm willing to be different because I know who my God really is. I know that I'm a son of the covenant with him. God wants you to have that confidence today. The Daniel effect I put on there is that slaves adapt to the culture around us and we let it soak into us while sons or daughters change the culture around us. There's something that happens when someone starts acting like a son or a daughter. It just kind of like, it just, it, it lifts the oppression. All of a sudden it's like, well, how are they? Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's who I am too. And that's the way God wants us to live. Daniel knew who he was and he wasn't afraid to be different. How about this one? Daniel saw the bigger picture. He saw the bigger picture. He knew it wasn't about him. Man, God, did you catch in that first verse that we read that um, these guys were good looking. There was no physical blemish. They had an aptitude for learning and for understanding. Um, there was a bunch of skills and talents. Some of you, as I was reading it, you were like, yeah, sounds like me, actually. Yeah, okay. We'll talk about humility next week. But, uh, but here's the deal. They were, they were the brightest of the bright, the best of the best, the creme de la creme in their kingdom. And that's why they were chosen to be taken to Babylon. But here's the deal. They could have just relished in that and said, wow, isn't it cool that we were chosen? Oh, man, that's awesome. I'm so proud. Oh, you're the man. No, you're the man. No, you're the man. But they didn't do that because they understood something very important, that it's not about them. And it, Daniel understood it was not about him. He understood that God has a purpose and a plan for every skill, for every talent, for every ability, for everything that he has built into you. There's a purpose and a plan, and he's going to call upon that to be used for his glory. Some of you are here or one of our campuses, and man, you're great with money. You're great with budgeting. You're great with business sense. You know when to hire people. You know when to put more money into R&D. You know when to pull an ad in the paper or put something on the internet or whatever. God wants to use that for his glory in some way. Some of you are great with people. People seem to find you when you're trying to hide and they tell you their problems and they're like, oh, would you pray for me? Why? Because you seem to have just a gift of mercy and compassion and people seek you out. Guess what? God wants to use that for his bigger purpose. It's not all about you and it's not all about me. In Daniel, God had given him gifts and we have seen those for sure. But here's the deal. I believe that God had... Uh, Two main plans for Daniel. Particularly, you know, the book of Daniel is separated into uh, six chapters. That's kind of the historical part of it. And it tells the stories, uh, some amazing stories. If you haven't read them, I encourage you to read them. Just amazing the way the power of God is revealed in his life. I'll touch on a few. But then the second half of the book is where Daniel is speaking prophetically about the last times and about the coming of the Messiah. And it's apocalyptic in nature. And he's talking about, man, the, the, the 70 weeks and, and how Jesus is going to come back to earth. And it's amazing stuff. So God obviously used Daniel to reveal the things that were to come and to speak prophetically. But in this part of the story that we're talking about today, I believe God had two primary purposes for Daniel. And I think they're very similar to the purposes he has for you and for me. You ready to hear them? Okay, they're found in your notes. 
The first one is this. I believe God wanted to use Daniel to show that he does live among people. God wanted to use Daniel to show that he does live among people. Here's the deal. In chapter 2, verse 11, well, in chapter 2 of of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. And it was very troubling. And when he woke up, he couldn't remember it. And so he called his magicians and his his wise men and all of that in. And he said, guys, uh, here's the problem. I can't remember my dream. And I want you guys to tell me what I dreamt and tell me what the interpretation is. And they were like, oh, okay, sounds good. Tell us your dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he's like, no, 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 you're not getting me. I want you to tell me what I dreamt and then tell me the interpretation. And they're like, no, no, that's good. Tell us what you dreamt and we'll tell you the interpretation. (laughs) And so it goes on like that for a while. And finally the king is frustrated and he says, I see that you are trying to stall because you see how firmly resolved I am about this issue. So guess what? You will all be executed if you don't tell me what I dreamt and tell me what it means. Bad, bad day in court, right? You think you've had a bad day in court? (laughs) That was a bad day in court. Cruel and unusual punishment. But here's what these wise men tell Nebuchadnezzar in verse 11. They say, oh, king. Basically, my paraphrase, DJP, is that's ridiculous. No king has ever asked from any court anywhere in history to tell him what he dreamt and to tell him the interpretation. And it says this, only the gods can do that And they don't live among men. Interesting, huh? Only the gods can reveal that kind of thing. And they don't live among men. Have you ever been so close but just missed it by that much? Those wise men had a part of the truth. Only God can reveal mysteries. Only God can reveal the secrets of the heart. They missed it by that much because they followed it up with, and they don't live among men. I believe that one of God's purposes for Daniel and one of God's purposes for your life and for my life is to reveal himself in us so that people would know that God does live in men and women who love him. When Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her, hey, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be the Messiah. You will call him Jesus, and he'll be known as Emmanuel, which means what? Mm, Castle Rock, Highlands Ranch, it means what? God with us. God wants to reveal to people and have people know, far and wide, rich and poor, young and old, kings and paupers, that he lives among people and he wants to live in them. Daniel did that. And you know what's interesting? is that later on, throughout the fact that he went to the three, uh, his three uh, friends, the Hebrew children, said, guys, we need to pray. We need to ask God for wisdom. And so they prayed to God and said, God, please give us the, the dream and the interpretation because if not, we're all going to be killed. And God spoke to Daniel that night in a dream and revealed to him exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed. And he was able to go in the next day and tell the king what he dreamt, give him the interpretation. And then the king says, blessed be the God of Daniel before he reveals dreams and mysteries. He truly is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And then throughout the, that, the next few chapters, it is said literally three or four times by different people, including King Nebuchadnezzar, including his wife or daughter-in-law, depending on the interpretation. When they spoke of Daniel, they said this. The spirit of the gods lives in him. Wow. Here's a king who months before was busy impaling people on spears and 
killing people for the fun of it and showing off his great power and majesty. But all of a sudden now, through Daniel, understanding who he is, but also getting the bigger picture that it's not about him, that it's about God revealing himself to people, it results in a king saying, I don't know much about a lot of stuff, but I know that the spirit of the gods, as they understood it, lives in her, lives in him. The spirit of the God lives in Daniel. Do you long for that to be said of you? Wow. What an amazing thing that someone at work, an associate, a vendor, someone would be able to say, yeah, I know Kevin. The spirit of the gods lives in him. Yeah, I know Brody. The spirit of the gods lives in him. I may not understand everything that goes on, but I know Sandra and the spirit of God lives in her. Watching your kids at the playground, wherever it might be, but knowing that people are saying, the Spirit of God lives in you. That is God's purpose for you. He wants you to know that you're a son or a daughter of the King. And He wants to reveal Himself in you the way that He did with Daniel so that others would say, yes, there's a God in heaven, but that's not all. But He does live among men and women. Wow, how would our community be changed if we begin to understand that God looks at us that way, that he loves us, that he forgives us, that he calls us his own through the blood of his son Jesus, that we are sons and daughters of his covenant, and that he longs to reveal himself through us by his spirit. What about the second purpose? I believe God wanted to use Daniel and he wants to use you and me to bring kings to their knees in worship. He literally brought kings to their knees in worship told you that story and of course Nebuchadnezzar glorified God when Daniel was able to supernaturally give him the revelation of what he dreamt and of what it meant. Nebuchadnezzar's son Belshazzar was basically partying it up and using the uh, cups and the goblets from God's temple to, uh, to do drinking with his concubines and whatnot and the finger of God appeared and wrote on the wall. You remember the story? And they couldn't figure out what it said. It says that the king was so afraid, his knees were knocking. It literally says his knees were shaking. And he went, what is a ghost? And his wife or the queen mother, depending on the translation, said, you know what? You need to go and find Daniel. Because in him is the spirit of the gods. And he will be able to reveal to the king what the words that that hand has written on the wall mean. And sure enough, they came and got Daniel, said, we'll give you a gold necklace and a purple robe and all that. He said, hey, keep your prizes for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else, but I will tell you what it means. Mene, mene, tekel, hufarsin. The king has been weighed on the balance and found wanting. Your days have been numbered and are coming to an end. And your kingdom will be given to the Medes and the Persians. And even there, that king gave glory and honor to God and exalted Daniel, not even knowing he would be killed that very night by an invasion by the Medes and the Persians. And throughout the book of Daniel, different kings say, blessed be the God of Daniel, for he is a revealer of mysteries. There is no God but the God of Daniel. Throughout the scripture, let me read you a couple of them. In uh, chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar said, truly your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Chapter four, verse three Nebuchadnezzar says, The Most High God, what he has done for me, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. 
His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I could go on and on about kings and those in powerful positions, as well as the common person, gave glory to God. Guess what? God wants to use you to be a reason that other people give glory to God. Do you know that? Do you know that, Highlands Ranch? God wants to use you. We look at someone else. We look at, oh, Pastor John or whoever's preaching or leading worship or whoever is doing this or that. That's great. God uses them too. But God wants to use you in your situation, in your circle of friends, in your environment, young people. God wants to use you in your school to be the reason that people worship God and say, man, I was messed up. I was on drugs. I was doing whatever. But God has given me hope. God has forgiven my sin. God has revealed himself to me and shown me I can be a daughter or a son of the king. God wants to use you to bring other people to their knees in worship of him. And here's the secret, guys. It's going to take everything that you have. It's going to require everything that you have. You say you have talents? Good. You're going to need them. You say you have good looks? Good. Yes. Amen. You're going to need them. God's going to use that. You say you have an ability for learning? Good. You're going to need it. You see, whatever it is that God has given you and built into you and put into you, He is going to call that thing forth because guess what? He's done with us being a big fish in a little pond. God is saying, I want you to know who you are in me. I want you to know you are my beloved son or daughter, a son or daughter of my covenant through the blood of my son Jesus. But then after you get that and understand that, I want you to open your eyes to the bigger picture and see it's not about you, but it's about the great purposes and plans I have. And it's way bigger than you could even imagine or comprehend or be able to accomplish in your own ability. Here's the deal. A few years back, we went on a vacation to uh, uh, South Dakota. And uh, my brother-in-law brought his F-250. I have an F-150. We're a Ford family. You know, whatever. Our choice. Um, but he had an F-250, and I had seen that thing, you know, when they would come over and, and visit us out in front of my house. And it's a diesel, and it's very loud. And it's black smoke, you know, and all that. And the big wheels. And it's just, it's heavy. You know, the doors are heavy. And you're like, oh, I wonder how much gas this thing guzzles, you know, and all that. And, and so it just kind of looked out of place in my neighborhood and on my street and parked in front of my house. It was kind of like, who needs that? You know, is that overkill or what? I have an F-150. That's perfectly good for anybody. It's a 5.4 liter engine. Who needs more? That's just greed. You know what I'm saying? So you see that. <laughs> anyway, but here's the deal. We took this trip to South Dakota and we rented, well, I, we rented a 23-foot trailer and we pulled it behind my F-150. And my brother-in-law has a fifth wheel and he pulled it behind his F-250. Oh, yeah. And so here's the deal. We were going up and down these little two-lane highways in Wyoming and South Dakota. And my, uh, what's it called with the RPMs? What was that? Odometer. No. Tachometer. My tachometer is just going. And I'm like, how do I stop that? I don't even know, you know, like the transmission is going to burn out or whatever. And my brother lies like, passing me going, well, anyway. I'm sure slightly over the speed limit, maybe, but you know, can't prove it. But anyway, I mean, his F-250 is pulling that fifth wheel away tons and tons and tons without any problem. Here's where I'm going with this. 
That F-250 looked like overkill and looked way out of place and looked like, man, who does that truck think it is and whatever. But all of a sudden, when we got it out on the road and we got it pulling a load and we got it doing the thing that it was designed to do, all of a sudden it made a lot more sense and it looked a lot more natural. Right? God is saying you might look out of place where you are right now. You might have abilities and talents that are dormant in you or that you don't know why God placed them there. And you go, wow, I just feel a little bit embarrassed because I seem to be able to do that pretty well, but I don't know where it fits in God's kingdom. God wants to call forth those things for his bigger picture purposes in your life. And you're going to be like that F-250 that's going to get on the road, put the pedal to the metal no matter how much weight is on there. See the black smoke and you're cruising down the highway. Well, DJ's behind you, me, me, you know. God wants to use the things he's placed in you, and he will use them, but we need to let him say, God, open my eyes to the bigger picture. How do you want to use me with my kids? How do you want to use me with my friends, Lord? How do you want to use me at my workplace, my colleagues? God, how do you want to use me in the four walls of the church with extended family. I guarantee you God wants to use you to reveal that he does live among people and to bring people to their knees in worship of him. Humility is not making ourselves smaller, but it's realizing that his mission is bigger and it's gonna take all we got plus a whole lot more. That is the place that God is calling us to live in. Are you willing to go there? All right, last but not least, Daniel stood firm and took action. He stood firm and he took action. We began uh, today's message with Daniel in the lion's den, which is found in Daniel chapter 6. And we told that story. And in chapter 11, verse 32, it says this, those who know their God will do exploits, is what the King James says. Other versions say, the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. You see, even after we understand who we are in God, even after we allow him to reveal to us that we are his beloved son or his beloved daughter, even after we ask him to open our eyes to the bigger picture that it's not about us, but that his purposes and plans are greater, that he has dreams and purposes and visions for us that would probably scare us, but yet that are gonna bring so much joy as we partner with him and seeing other lives touched. But in the end, None of that will happen if we don't stand firm and take action. Daniel prayed three times a day. He knew the source of his power. He knew the source of his strength. He knew the source of his wisdom. He knew the one who revealed to him everything he needed to know. He knew the one who sustained him in the loneliness of being so far from home. He knew the one who gave him grace and favor in front of kings and emperors and rulers. He had built a habit of depending on God for strength far above and beyond his own. God is saying to us, church, I want you to depend on me. I want you to take action. I want you to know that when you know who you are in me and you let me give you a revelation of what I want to do, then that third step is to take action and let me do the supernatural. Step out of your comfort zone. Take a risk. Get out of the boat like Peter did and see, let me add my super to your natural. It's the way Tom Ewing phrased it. That's what God is longing to do in our lives. Michelangelo, the painter of the Sistine Chapel and the Mona Lisa, 
Put it this way, the greater danger for most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. I believe that would echo the heart of God for his people. Said, hey, it's not so much that you're not hitting the target, it's that I long for you to realize that I'm calling you to live in the realm of the supernatural. I am the God of the impossible. I am the one who clothes the mouths of lions. I am the one, as we learned last week, who gets Joseph's out of prison and into the presence of kings. I am the one who does that thing that you could never do, who gives and reveals mysteries. I am the one who allows you to be in a fiery furnace and not be burned. I am the God of the supernatural. Step out. Take action. Obey me. Trust me. Hear me as we've been hearing in previous messages what I'm speaking to your spirit and step out and do that thing and see what I will do. Ashley Cooper, our youth leader down in Castle Rock, tweeted this week. She said, never tell a young person that something cannot be done. God may have waited centuries for someone ignorant enough of impossible to do it. (laughs) Isn't it true sometimes? We allow ourselves to be calloused. We allow our hearts to get hardened because of the areas in which we've failed, because of the struggles that we've seen, because of battles, years gone by, because of things that we don't understand. And I believe that God is wanting to do something fresh and new in our hearts if we will let him. He's saying, hey, will you let me touch you and put in you and renew a childlike faith? Will you let me give you a childlike faith like Daniel had to step out and take action, to believe, to not even know that it's impossible? Or if we do, say, yeah, but my God is the God of the impossible. He is greater than this obstacle that I'm facing. God is waiting. The other people that we're gonna hear about in this series, we're gonna hear about Joseph, Mary, David, so many others. I believe a common thread through all of them was that childlike faith. Jesus said, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you won't be able to enter it. And I don't think it's so much speaking of salvation and heaven and hell as it is if you don't allow me to pull you into the realm of faith, to to take action by trusting me, you're just going to live in the realm of your own understanding, in your own safety zone, and you're never going to see the kingdom of God like God is longing to reveal it in our lives and through us. Are we willing? Are we willing to let God do something fresh in our heart, remove the layers of hurt, the layers of guilt? Perhaps you're here today and you're still thinking about a failure or a compromise or a lack of purity or something. Perhaps earlier this week, perhaps a year ago, perhaps 15, 20, 30 years ago. God is saying, hey, I want to wash that clean. If you will let me, I want to do a new thing in your heart. I want to reveal myself to you and tell you again what you mean to me. I want to bring you to the cross and let you see the sacrifice that was paid so that you could be a son or daughter in covenant with me. I want you to to, to take the blinds off and see the great plans and purposes I have for your life. Where are you at? Where are you at? I put... In your notes, a little box that says purpose without identity is slavery. When we understand the things that we should be doing, but we don't get the peace 
of who we are in Christ. It's slavery. Identity without purpose is pride. If I just go, yeah, man, God loves me. Woo, I'm great. He thinks I'm all that, which he does. But if I'm not willing to embrace the purpose aspect and see his bigger picture, then it can just lead to pride. But purpose with identity, when those things come together, that's where heroes live. That's where men and women, young and old, live that God can truly use in our generation. I believe that God wants to do a work today here in all of our campuses. And so I'd ask you to stand to your feet together. Let's just come before the Lord. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We don't just decide, oh, I'm just going to, you know, start being more confident. I'm just going to start, I don't know, thinking differently today. But we can bring our hearts to God and say, God, would you speak to me again? God, would you take me to your word and let it come alive in my heart? How you see me, forgiven, washed clean. Isaiah 61 is a chapter that we've used to in some way define the mission of Jubilee Fellowship Church. But the Spirit of God was speaking of Jesus, and it said the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord was on him to comfort the brokenhearted, to bring sight to the blind, to bring freedom for the captives, to preach the good news to the poor, and to declare and proclaim the acceptable and favorable year of the Lord. I'm here to tell you today, no matter where you are, if you need, if you're uncertain as to how God feels about you, God wants to speak that to your spirit right now. If you have received that, but you just, for whatever the reasons, haven't been able to grasp that God has a plan and a purpose specific for your life, God wants to begin to reveal that. If you'll ask Him. If you're saying, man, I just need help truly stepping out in faith and beginning to take action in those areas, in those dreams. I believe God wants to show you what that very first step is where he wants to meet you. So as we worship God today, I just pray, Father, would you speak to your people? God, your spirit is the restorer of the broken heart. God, would you restore those that have fallen down, those that are smeared with shame, whose garments are muddy and they have lost all hope of truly reflecting your glory the way they once believed they would. Lord, I pray that you would show us the blood of Jesus is able to wash away every sin, every failure, and Lord, that you can clothe us with the righteousness of Christ, with garments that are white as snow. In fact, Isaiah says, though your sins be red like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, bring us to a place of realizing who we are in Christ. Speak your identity over us. Let us remember who we are. And God, open our eyes to the great purposes and plans you have. Minister to your people, Lord, as we seek you, as we take a few moments to respond to you, God. Minister your life to your people. In Jesus' name.